This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. We give you all the viral stories that are just about to drop. Just please, oh please, oh please, oh please don't let this flop. If you keep scrolling, 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 and you're never gonna stop, then please, oh please, oh please, oh please don't let this flop. From stupid songs and dances, all the cultural advances, we will cover them from bottom to the top. Just please, oh please, oh please, oh please, I promise you'll appease our please, oh please, you please don't let this flop. Hello and welcome to Don't Let This Flop, Rolling Stones podcast about internet culture. My name is Chi Chi, Chi 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 Chi. And my name is Cha Cha, Cha 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 Cha. My name is Chiki, Chiki Chiki Chiki. My name is Cha Cha, Clop Clop Cha Cha Cha. Chiki Chiki Chiki, Clop Clop Cha Cha Cha. Chiki Chiki Chiki, Clop Clop Cha Cha Cha. I mean, I kind of just wanted to play that without context and move on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we have no real reason to talk about it, but we both are getting these videos constantly. I'm getting these videos constantly. um, And I suppose we owe you some context. uh, Particularly if you're less online than us, God bless you. But um, that's a song from a kid's YouTuber called D Billions, which is from, I actually did look this up, how to pronounce it, Kyrgyzstan. That's how you pronounce um, Kyrgyzstan. (laughs) Um, it's one of these like incredibly low budget content farms that pumps out like cheap kitty content that gets like 300 million views, like sort of like a D-list cocoa melon. Um, and someone on the Ask Parents Reddit describes it as communist propaganda aimed at dumbing down Western children that parents prop in front of YouTube to pacify them. And frankly, like I can't, it's none of my business. Like I don't, I can't speak to that. I I don't know whether or not that's true. Um, but it's going viral on TikTok because people made a dance to it with each person playing one of the four characters, Chi-Chi, Cha-Cha, Boom-Boom, and Lala. Yeah. And it's one of the best trends I've ever seen. <laughs> it's a really good <laughs> dance trend. When it's done right, it's quite excellent. It's so satisfying to watch. And it's also yeah. really easy. It's, like, very accessible. Yeah. I also, like, it, there is such a trend of, like, children's songs on TikTok that people mm-hmm. love to do dances to. I'm surprised by how many have taken off on the app. Yeah, I mean, who do you relate to the most? Um, Chi Chi, Cha Cha, Boom Boom, or Lala? Who who resonates most with your womb lands? <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll go. I'll go with Boom Boom. Me too. I think every. I think Boom Boom's the everyman. Yeah, <laughs> Boom Boom's fun. My name is Boom Boom. Boom Boom Boom. If boom we, Boom is is goblin mode. If, if Boom Boom is goblin mode, um. <laughs> Lala is that girl, is the that girl yeah. aesthetic. My name is Lala. Lala, Lala, Lala. <laughs> Cha-Cha trying too hard. Yeah, Cha-Cha is like Visco girl. Yeah. To pretend to do it like as a throwback. Um, <laughs> and Chi-Chi, Chi-Chi is sort of like the um, responsible millennial. Yeah. In the yeah, room. Yeah. Um, like the the leader. Um so we're going to have to fight about this, I guess, if we do this for our TikTok, <laughs> who we're going to be. But um, it, it's one of the best trends I've ever seen, mostly because it's just led to me stopping having thoughts. Like, I just don't have, like, stress or anxiety 
yeah. or sadness anymore. I just, it's just, my name is Chi Chi. My name is Cha Cha. My name is Boom Boom. My name is La La. A hundred percent of the time. But let's move on. Uh, okay. Now for the real story, uh, we got to talk about American Song Contest. Uh, oh my gosh. You've been watching, right? I I'm I watched obsessed. the first episode. Yeah. So I, I love reality television. We know this. Like as anyone can tell from previous episodes, I watch almost every reality TV show. And I love reality competition series so much. And as a former American Idol call-in voter, I was hooked the moment I watched Eurovision for the first time last summer, which I'm surprised I had not watched earlier in my life. But it immediately became the best TV event I'd ever watched in my entire adulthood. But imagine my absolute glee when I heard about American Song Contest, which is a new competition that is the American counterpart to Eurovision. So we have discussed Eurovision before in the context of the ABBA TikTok revival. Of course, ABBA being one of the most famous and successful Eurovision alums and Monoskin, the most recent winner. And it's the global phenomenon where a bunch of European and UK countries submit an original song and they compete over who has the best song. It's incredibly lavish. It's a sumptuous visual spectacle for the senses. Mm -hmm. Each song is cheesy. It's delightful. It's like very, it's all like very Euro pop. It's all very Euro dance mostly. There's like some ballads in there. But honestly, most countries, they go for the bops. They go for like the fun, silly, big hit Euro dance trash. And I eat it up. And you're probably wondering, will America be able to top it? Because I was certainly wondering the same thing. I had I had very low expectations, mm-hmm. I will say. But at the time that we're recording this, there have been two weeks of the competition. And we're going to go over some highlights. It's hosted, first off, by Snoop Dogg and Kelly Clarkson. Two icons. Mm-hmm. I literally cannot think of a better duo. First off, they both don't really know where they are. No, but that, that doesn't them. stop them from being incredibly charismatic and pleasant. Yeah, you. it's just like Snoop is just so clearly stoned. Like, that's just like, I mean, he always is. But like... Watching him just completely dissociate in the middle of every single episode. Delightful. You know what I love? Tonight, we have heard all kinds of music. That's my favorite part of this show. Everyone is included. I mean, I mean, you know, now we just got to, you know, wait for the big thing, right? Excellent host. Excellent choice on America's part. But it also features the ability to vote via TikTok, which is an incredible way to get me, a person who hates signing up for things, to participate. So I, I have been voting. I am now a... Interesting. What did you vote for the first week? Um, okay, so what you do is you you can vote for as many people, I think, as you want um, each week. But you can give them a scale of 0 to 10 votes each. Mm-hmm. So I gave my favorite person, Ryan Charles of Wyoming, for <laughs> New Boot Goofin. An immediate 10 votes. I even downloaded the NBC app to give him an extra 10 votes. That's how much I fucking loved him. Okay. So expl- explain New Boot Goofin and, and Wyoming's Ryan Charles and, and why this was the highlight <laughs> of the first episode. EJ, where do I begin? Where, where, where do I begin? So New Boot Goofin, I just, I need to say it clearly. New Boot Goofin by Wyoming's Ryan Charles it's just like the most wholesome, ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life. It's all about how good he felt when he got a new pair of boots. I mean, I hope to soon be familiar with that on my quest to find a pair of white cowboy boots that are less than $100. I want to be new boot goofing, much like Ryan Charles. Do you know but- what's funny? Is that that's only like, that's like probably the third best song about 
the feeling you get when you buy a pair of new footwear that it's, I can think of like off the top of my head, like the, the Paolo Notini song. <laughs> no, 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 no. It is the the best song of songs about shoes. Like it is, it is beautiful. So in the few short weeks since hearing the song, my life has completely changed. My skin is brighter, my hair curlier, the boots I already own, goofiner. I live and breathe new boot goofin. I listen to it every day. I scream, Alexa, play new boot goofin constantly every day of my life. <laughs> Sadly, America did not um, believe in new boot goofin the way that I did. And the song did not advance to the semifinals. And I am outraged. It literally is like the saddest thing that's ever happened to me. And I think may have colored my ability to view week two of the competition. But anyway, so that was my favorite. And week one was actually really fun. They had a lot of good sort of like pop songs. Like there wasn't a lot of like, there's like a few ballads kind of peppered in there, but it was like mostly a lot of fun. Um, another audience favorite and someone else I really loved was Alexa from Oklahoma. Mm. So she's from Tulsa, but she's actually a fairly well-known K-pop star. And the kids on TikTok love her. And she's just like, I mean, she already has like a huge fandom. And it's a really great song and very likely to be the year's big win. I think there's a great story behind it. I think, you know, there is like a... a level of success that will keep advancing her pretty well, like a big fandom around her. So she could very much be the person to take it all home. So we forgot, you forgot to mention Michael Bolton representing Connecticut because I I will get to it. (laughs) I will get to it. Don't you worry. Um, but week two, the other, you know, it was like, it left a lot to be desired. It was like, it was not, it was not the best. It was a lot of boring, folky, semi-religious performances, barf. I kind of dug the turquoise-wearing chick from North Dakota named Chloe Fredericks. Her performance started off really strong, but it was missing a little extra oomph. A lot of these songs, they're missing, they're missing something. I think they need like a good bridge. They need something. Like, so they always have like a good sort of like beginning and then it kind of peters out and is too repetitive and boring. My fave from the second week was this Kansas cutie, Broderick Jones. No one tell me his age. I think he might be 19. I can't tell. That's fine. He's so You're hot. Fine. He gave a very 2014 performance. It was a mix of some EDM drops with like a Drake-like R&B vocal performance. Really good. Definitely the best from week two by far. Now, the big shock of American Song Contest, as you mentioned, one of the people that showed up, is that they have real sort of like name brand stars. Of course, like Alexa, it already has like a K-pop following. Of course, she hasn't broken in the U.S. market as much as she has already in the K-pop market. But like, you know, there are a lot of kind of kind of recognizable names. So I was very clearly gagged when Michael Bolton showed up in week one to rep Connecticut, performing some boring ass song about the earth, which so stupid. I wish he had just done another Lonely Island collab instead, but he really did not want to be there. It's yeah, he looked real bored, but he looked hot as hell. I will say that. <laughs> I was Bolton. that is a take that is a left field take, Brittany. I'm not was expecting not, you <laughs> to come not, out with being horny for Michael Bolton. <laughs> my group chat was just like completely entranced by how hot he is. Like he he's aged well. Um, then my queen Macy Gray came through for Ohio with another two inspirational track. It was boring. Now, this is like, you know, again, like with Eurovision, it's not I think people have like a, a misunderstanding of what Eurovision already was, which is the idea that it's like a breakthrough artist. But of course, for us, a lot of these artists are 
um, new, or if you're watching as an American viewer or outside of the country that they're from, a lot of these artists are like semi-established in a lot of the countries. Like ABBA was already pretty established by the time they went on um, Eurovision. Celine Dion, who competed for Switzerland, even though she's not from Switzerland, I still don't know what the rules were for that, was already pretty established in Canada at that point. So they've had like a history of that, but it definitely like these artists feel like way too veteran in some respects. Um, and I, I am worried that the celebs are going to advance each week. Of course, Michael Bolton already made it through. Macy Gray is very likely to make it through for Ohio. Um, we're still waiting on, I know Cisco and Jewel are supposed to be showing up. Uh, I'm really, I'm really hoping I'm, uh, I would love for Cisco to give us another thought Bob, because I, I can't do it if he does another, if he's one of the other celebs to do an inspirational track. There are like way too many. They keep advancing. Um, I just, I can't do like the big inspirational ballads. I hate them. And I'm just, you know, I'm having fun watching. I am. I'm enjoying it so far. The first two weeks have been really fun. It is too American in that it's overemphasizing very down home values, very like country music values. This could also be a lot of the the states that they've already shown, but like it's too it's too like, you know, we're a country artist wins American Idol every year type of vibe. Like I'm I'm already a little bored by that. But I want I want more pussy poppin' anthems. I, like I want a monoskin to show up. I want like a a big kind of flashiness to it, some real good pop bops. Why not do more fun shit? I don't care about your faith journey. Tell me about your boots. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Uh, let's do straight people. Straight! People. So you guys are probably familiar with the Architectural Digest Celebrity House Tours. Brittany, I know you're familiar. Oh, I love them. They're very calming to me. It's like this in the Vogue Beauty Secrets videos. I love watching rich people be rich. It is frustrating to me to watch them, mostly because more often than not, it's a demonstration of how little taste they have, despite being rich. Oh, always. Always. <laughs> they have all this money and no taste, and they clearly just outsource, like, all of the design to, you know, an extremely well-paid gay man, like, in the Hollywood Hills. Yeah. And who, you know, doesn't have a great deal of taste either, but has, like, marginally more so than them. Yeah. And um, so it's it's frustrating to watch sometimes. But yeah. They go viral all the time. Um, I think the last time that they really popped off, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, when Dakota Johnson put limes in her kitchen— 
And then yeah. went on I the mean, Tonight that's... Show and said she was actually allergic to limes. I love limes. <laughs> I love them. They're great. I love them so much, and I like to present them like this in my house. What do you do with all those limes? What do you... I actually didn't even know that they were in there. I was giving the tour and went into the kitchen, and they it was set dressing. It was hard to just ignore them, that's so true. I just lied. That was a really... It was a, a cultural shift. Like, first off, the limes. Because people were doing lip syncs to that. Like, they were reenacting that constantly. But then finding out that she had lied about the limes <laughs> was, I mean, it made Dakota Johnson even more iconic. I trust nothing that comes out of that woman's mouth. Nothing. Yeah. She seems like someone who just, like, who does just, like, lie for fun. Like, she doesn't realize that she's lying, but she's, like, I mean, I feel like there's, like, a few celebrities who are like that. Like, Robert Pattinson just kind of lies for fun. And, like, for no reason, SZA does that. There was a great thread that was, like, SZA lying, colon, a thread on Twitter. One of my favorite <laughs> threads of all time. And it was just, like, weird, like, dumb shit. Like, it was nothing big. It was nothing, like, life-altering. It was just, like, it, clearly she just didn't care enough to tell the truth. And Dakota Johnson just seems like someone who's, like, really bad at being asked questions. Like, she just, like, doesn't know how to answer them. Normally. Yeah, I would love to profile her. I would love to just like sit in a room and have her lie to me for an hour. I think that would be yeah. really funny. I would love to sit next to her with a bowl of limes between us, a bowl of her decorative limes. <laughs> so anyway, the lime moment was was the first chink in the armor of AD's journalistic credibility. Honestly, I would say not not a chink, but it made it it made it more iconic. It made it more it made it more iconic, but it definitely I mean, I don't know how many people were actually watching those videos and being like yeah. This is how celebrities really live. Like, we are really getting a peek into, like, Nina Dobrev's lifestyle. But yeah. I do feel like that was the first moment where people were talking about, oh, like, openly talking about, like, oh, these incredibly viral videos are yeah. at least somewhat staged. Yeah. You know? And so here's here's the second chink, but also simultaneously an incredibly iconic moment. Ashley Tisdale openly admitted... <laughs> that she told her husband to buy 400 books to fill her bookcase in her AD house store. So Ashley I mean, Sizzle is famously Sharpay Evans from High School Musical, um, a.k.a. who actually should have been the lead in the, school in the school's production of Twinkle Town instead of um, Gabriella Montez. <laughs> you, you may or may not understand that reference. I frankly don't care. But <laughs> I know you do, Brittany. That's all that matters to me. I do. I do. And you're right. <laughs> I'm so I've never felt I've never felt more confident about anything in my life than that take. My favorite um Sharpay Evans revival of late was people sort of being like, um, put her put this character, this fictional character in a room with um Nate from Euphoria. And everyone was like, <laughs> the person who would destroy him would definitely be Sharpay. And that's a hundred percent correct. Like yeah. she is the people were like, oh, like put like, you know, this like dumb character. I was like, no, 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 they're not, they're not Sharpay. No, Sharp Sharpay is the scariest person who ever lived. Yeah, like Her, the two, like you could put Sharpay and you could put like Santana from Glee in a room with Nate from Euphoria, and they would end him completely. Completely. Her her performance is iconic. Yeah. Um. Real real great theater kid pastiche. Yes. Should should she have won an Oscar? I don't know. Maybe I'll say it. She should have been nominated. Yeah. At, li at least a Golden Glow for musical or comedy. At least a golden. If Mamma Mia, not to go back to Mamma Mia, but because we always talk seem bad to go about back Mama to Mamma Mia, I'm not gonna. If, you know, I would never talk bad about Mamma Mia. 
Okay. You know, you know in your heart I would never talk bad about Monica. Okay. I think but, it's like a cinematic <laughs> masterpiece. I, I, I know. I, but my point is that if Mamma Mia was nominated for Golden Globe for Best Musical or Comedy, Ashley Tisdale could have received Citizen a Citizen Kane wants what Mamma Mia had. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't go that far. but <laughs> and, and Catherine Hepburn wants what Ashley Tisdale had. <laughs> but anyway, Ashley Tisdale, we stand. She's also kind of making a revival now because of her style um, at award shows in the early aughts, which was also iconic. Very and he said, she said. Don't forget about he said, she said. Oh, for fuck, Bob. I, I, fuck, I did forget about he said, she said. She's, people are, are having a moment with Ashley Tisdale. She's, she wore a lot of, of like long tunics over boot cut jeans. Mm-hmm. And she's saying he said, she said. So all this context you need to know. Um, when we talk about her AD video, because if you watch yeah. it, it's like it's like fairly standard. You don't actually learn anything about her. You do learn she has a standard LA minimalist style, lots of bamboo, marble coffee tables, lots of wildly overpriced mohair chairs. Mm-hmm. I actually, my husband is an architect and I showed him the video because um, I wanted to get some like <laughs> insight. And all he said was, she's hot. I love her. <laughs> he, he had no idea who she was. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I hate being married to a straight person sometimes. Like I <laughs> it's I, I don't hate it. I let me let me rephrase that. It's like it's fun. It's fun to like introduce my husband to people like Ashley Tisdale. Yeah. Listen, you made your choice. I did make my choice. And I, and I and I live with it every day when I show him things like Ashley Tisdale's architectural digest video and his only critique is she's hot. I love her. Yeah. Um, which is real like Walter Benjamin level cultural criticism. <laughs> but I digress. The real point of the video is that when she shows the bookshelf, here's what she says. <laughs> These bookshelves, I have to be honest, were not actually did not have books in it like a couple days ago. Um, I had my husband go to a bookstore and I was like, you need to get 400 books. <laughs> Do you know why she admitted this? Because have- she's iconic. I would too. I think I I love that she admitted it. I love that. Ultimately, I do too, but I never would. I would absolutely. Oh, I wouldn't with a gun to my head. And it's she iconic does iconic to not read. It's real bimbo lifestyle. Like Pretty, as a I, person, I couldn't disagree more. <laughs> I literally cannot finish a book. Um, so I relate. At this I, point, honestly, I could probably claim every book on my bookshelf as, like, also just decorative at this point. Do you buy books for that reason? Like, do you buy books to decorate? No, I buy books because people tell me to buy them, and then I just don't read them. I watch I, TikTok. I read articles. I mean, I do, I'm do. i on fucking TikTok <laughs> all the time, like, for the show. and for, I watch TV, you know. But I do, ju- I judge people, like, I have felt this way for a very, like, I judge people so hard when they don't have any books on their bookshelves. I, I, I appreciate honesty. I appreciate when, like, celebs are, like, weirdly honest about dumb shit. Like, I, I do love that she was, like, it was, like, because it, it's just so funny. It's just, like, so funny, and it clearly went viral. So even if that wasn't her intention for it to go viral, it did. And she should be proud of that. Because it was a, I, it made me like Ashley Tisdale more which you didn't think was possible i didn't think it was again i love he said she said i didn't need more reason to love her 
We should have. I, I think she would come on the podcast. Yeah, I think she should. Um, we could talk about how we don't read. <laughs> so, Ashley, who do you not read? We saw you went viral <laughs> for this. Who is your favorite author who you have not read? <laughs> She'll probably say, do, like, Nausgaard or something. <laughs> I do love the, like, um, the investigation that sort of prompt that was prompted by people. Like, not, like, if one, like, we're going to, like, see what, ha- like, but I think, like, I don't know. I think people were pro it. Like, I feel like everything I saw with people responding to it were, like, people were, like, oh, she literally just, like, gave thousands of dollars to a, a bookstore, which is great. <laughs> but she probably didn't. Because I I yeah. asked my husband about this and he wa- and this was actually helpful in that he said like basically people do this all the time like there are stores for interior decorators and real estate brokers that sell books like by the foot to, for precisely this reason like to fill up shelves for house showings so she but probably they do cost didn't money. give they do but she probably didn't give money to like an independent bookstore yeah because I think people have pulled up um, because a lot of the books were seem to be about New York and New York history that is from the Strand. Um, which is not an interior decorating situation. It's just like you buy, you like literally just like buy all these books. But I love, I love the idea of her accidentally becoming like, like an indie bookstore savior. That's what she did. But she did address this after it went viral. She said, mm-hmm. let's clear this up. There are some of my books from over the years in there, but yeah, 36 shelves that hold 22 books. I did not have and any interior designer would have done the same. They do it all the time. I was just honest about it, which She's definitely right. Like yeah. no lie was were no lies were spoken. Yeah. Unlike Dakota Johnson, <laughs> yeah. the notorious liar. I, lo- I love her honesty. I think it's refreshing. It is. It, it, it's it's extremely charming. Ultimately, yeah. at the end of the day, we can all agree that Sharpay should have won the lead based on her bop to the top performance alone. Truly. Yeah, we're gonna bop, 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 bop to the top, slip and slide and ride that rhythm, jump and pop, pop till we drop and stop. We've talked a lot about media coverage of TikTok and how news outlets try to capitalize on parental anxiety with hysterical stories about dangerous TikTok trends. The past three words are all in air quotes, by the way. Past examples include devious licks trend in which kids across the country were said to be vandalizing school property and moss, which I think we talked about early on in the podcast, too. Mm-hmm. And national shoot up your school day, a school shooting hoax that took the life took on a life of its own. Oftentimes, there's little evidence to support these stories, but it does beg the question, where do they come from? This week, we found out part of the answer to the question. They come from Facebook. Taylor Renz, who is an awesome internet culture reporter at the Washington Post, did a story with Drew Harwell in which they obtain access to email exchanges between Facebook and a right-wing strategy firm called Targeted Victory, in which they allegedly encouraged placing op-eds and letters to the editor in local papers stoking anti-TikTok sentiment as well as planted stories promoting stories about trends like the devious licks trend. We want to talk to Taylor about her story and how these misinformation campaigns get started. I'm Taylor Lorenz, and I'm a columnist covering technology. So congratulations on the story. <laughs> can you can you tell us how you like reported this out? Like, did you get a tip being like Facebook is is planting shitty stories about TikTok? Or like what led you down this <laughs> rabbit hole in the first place? So um, I did this story with Drew Harwell um, and I actually, um, Drew had been like, you know, looking into TikTok stuff for a while. I started looking into the whole fake trend thing last fall. I'm sure you remember EJ, but there was just this like endless sort of 
panic about these TikTok trends that were completely dubious. Um, and, you know, as someone that covers internet culture, I feel like a lot of times we're asked to like explain the slap a teacher challenge or explain, you know, the bring a gun to school thing. And and I just was like, this is, you know, these, very adamantly like these are not trends. Um, and so I started sort of asking around um back then, you know, just to kind of like understand, like I started reaching out to local news reporters that had written about this stuff. Um, I started, you know, some of them said that they had actually gotten tips from PR firms. I started reaching out to different um, comms firms and then also, you know, firms that Facebook had worked with in the past. So they had actually, there was a good story in 2018 about the relationship with uh, Targeted Victory. And so I had also reached out to people there as well. And Finally, we're able to put together the story with Drew. With with Drew, um, I mean, Drew did a lot of it, and we did it together. So, um. so when you saw those stories about like devious licks and and the slap a teacher challenge initially, um, because th- we talk about like these quote unquote TikTok trends like all the time on the podcast. Did it ever, was it your immediate instinct being like, oh, Facebook is planting these stories to like make TikTok look bad? Or what what did you think was sort of going on there? No, but I thought that the press around it was inauthentic and specifically also that there was there's these weird op-eds that were cropping up that were using a lot of the same language. Um, so I was kind of interested in like the media narratives around it. Um, I At first, I, I think I tried to like debunk a lot of them, but it's almost like a fool's errand to try and find the original like post about some of this stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I listened to the Reply All episode about it that I thought did a good job um, kind of hunting down the origin of one of these, I think it was the Devious Licks Challenge. Um, But I was kind of interested in more like the media relations stuff. And I remember there was this great report on... um a couple years ago on Amazon and and their PR tactics and the way that they had courted local press um, through like, do you remember the, all those clips, the Sinclair, uh, it was like Sinclair Broadcasting Group. And yeah, they basically, yeah. remember they all are spouting the same pro-Amazon pop propaganda. I felt like a lot of these stories were doing the same thing where like you started to see these op-eds that were using the same lines. Like TikTok is a danger to children, X, Y, Z. And it just, felt inauthentic in a way. And I don't know, um, I, you know, obviously so much of it, it's not like Facebook planted every one of these stories, but I think that they were amplifying the moral panic that was Mm -hmm. already kind of taking hold in local news. So that's how I started digging into it. Yeah. And of course you went down this rabbit hole because you were suspicious, but what was the most surprising thing that you learned in the process of, of uncovering a lot of this? Yeah. I mean, I was just, interested in such what what a sort of like massive operation um Facebook runs i mean they basically hired out targeted victory um which is this republican lobbying firm to kind of like do all of this dirty work for them and then targeted victory contracted dozens of firms around the country so it was like this kind of large coordinated campaign and i guess i was also surprised um just I mean, I wasn't surprised that local news would pick it up. I think it's just, it's it's a commentary on sort of like the sad state of local news too. I saw the Denver Post, um, which is my hometown newspaper, uh, put out a statement about the letter to the editor just saying like, it's so hard to know the difference between like a concerned parent and a concerned parent that has been swayed, you know, by Facebook. And um, there's really almost no way to know, you know, what's going on behind the scenes. So I think it's sort of like, a good little peek into the, you know, PR dirty work that really shapes all of the media every day. Yeah. 
what was the purpose of planting, um, you know, from these stories, from Facebook's perspective? And like, I, I guess my main question is how did so many outlets fall for this? I know. I mean, well, the one thing that targeted victory and Facebook tried to use against us when we were, you know, went to them with comment is like, look, the Washington Post even wrote up these dumb viral trends. And I think, I mean, my response to them was that just shows exactly how good (laughs) this campaign is, is that sort of exploiting these narratives. Um, I mean, I think it's, it's hard because you have a lot of reporters that are understaffed, they're breaking news reporters, they're not very adept with technology. And I think like we as the media just need to be really careful about any moral panic story, right? Like, Mm -hmm. and question a lot of this stuff. Um, It's like a tale as old as time. It's like, you know, oh, there's drugs in your kid's Halloween candy, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I think we're just seeing a lot of these panics applied to technology. Like, I mean, obviously i covered a lot around YouTube and there was a lot of panic in the mid 2010s around different YouTube trends or, you know, the Tide Pod challenge is a good example of this or Momo, uh, if you guys remember that. Like (laughs) there's all of these things that prey on parents' fear of the unknown and fear of new technology that, you know, their children are using. Yeah, I mean, to that end, like your story sort of confirms that, you know, some of the dangers that are reportedly like associated with TikTok are completely manufactured. But, I mean, that said, TikTok is not a perfect app. So, like, what are the issues with TikTok that the media should be concerned about? Yeah, I mean, I think misinformation is a huge problem on TikTok. I think everyone on TikTok has basically zero media literacy and will believe anything that they see to an extent that I think would shock people on Twitter. Because on Twitter, there's, like, these big academics and journalists and people kind of misinformation researchers like focused on debunking that stuff. There's almost none of those people on TikTok. It's really Lord of the Flies um, and people on there. Like, I mean, just think of the Wayfair stuff that spread. Like Mm -hmm. every single thing on TikTok is sex trafficking. Every single thing is like some controversy, you know, and it's just, and I think the format of TikTok video and the way that people bond with people on there, it's like they're almost more prone to misinformation than even the people that see the links on Facebook, see links to fake news on Facebook. So I think misinformation is a big issue. Um, I mean, people have talked a lot about data privacy in China. I think obviously we should continue to look at that. Um, And then I think also just like the nature of algorithmic recommendation and kind of the, the, the way the app works itself. There's also just this mob behavior on there that I see a lot. I mean, obviously I spoke a lot about the West Elm Caleb stuff, but I think like we're seeing we're seeing that mob behavior right now mostly applied to like, okay, shitty guys or some person that did something wrong in a viral video. But I think it's I think that type of mob mentality um is horrifying and, and I think like TikTok is is one where it's worth than anything. Like you could never even get these kind of outrage campaigns on Twitter. Yeah. Like it makes Twitter seem like child's play. I mean, do you guys feel like that? I don't know. Yeah, Absolutely. I'm, we talk about it every week. <laughs> one thing that's come up for us a lot over the course of doing this podcast and just in our conversations about internet culture generally is like how TikTok specifically and I feel like a lot of younger audiences and I, I think this started with like Tumblr and like millennials, of course, but like the changing of language and like how um, like you just mentioned, like the idea of like how this is goes against like shitty guys or stuff like that. Like there has been sort of like this like shifting of how words like, you know, like grooming comes up a lot or like what how people define um, things that are actually like really traumatic 
language um, through that? Like, how do you see that relating to like the moral panic element and like how that's kind of abused through? Yeah, through TikTok? I'm actually writing a story right now about language on TikTok mm-hmm. um, that I feel like maybe is related to some of what you're talking about. It's more about like writing to get around filters and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I'm so amazed at how well this like far right ideology has permeated into TikTok. Like you're talking yeah. about that language of grooming and, um, you know, just weird like moral panic stuff and the sex trafficking and the save the children stuff. Like it all is just, it almost seems tailor-made for TikTok. And while the right-wing media loves to complain about TikTok and call it a tool of the Chinese, Chinese you know, Communist Party, they have such a they have such a chokehold on TikTok. I mean, there's all the right-wing influencers are on TikTok. They have huge presences there. Like, it's it's really pervasive, and it's it's a platform that's very overrun with this far-right ideology, mm-hmm. it, it, just the way that Facebook was. It's just that like. TikTok people think of as this like harmless app or they think of it as like Zoomers and they're so woke and wow, Gen Z is going to save us all. And it's like, no, they're all getting completely radicalized on this new platform. Mm-hmm. In my in my opinion, I don't know. I just, it's scary. Finally, what else is, is going on in the creator space that, that you're interested in or that we should talk about on, on the podcast? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, <laughs> I'm brain dead right now. Um, <laughs> I mean, uh, I don't know. I think it's interesting um, now that all the VCs, I'm sure, I don't know if you guys saw, but uh, funding in creator economy star- startups dropped 30% uh, in the first quarter. And I think it's definitely cooling. And and it's, you know, last year was such boom times for all of these companies and VCs were throwing money without doing any due diligence with sort of to any YouTuber. Um, and now I think we're seeing the market start to level out a little bit. And so I'm interested to see a lot of these big creators that got a ton of VC funding last year, uh, how how that plays out, you know, how their businesses sustain and if some of these startups can continue to raise the rounds that they've been raising. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of something I'm interested in. I'm also writing about cringe content and I love cringe content. I'm writing yeah. a defense of it. <laughs> so, <laughs> what's your what's your like um, cringe content that you feel most protective of? Kind of everything. I I kind of just like I I want. I think like that. I mean, speaking of radicalization, I think that like a lot of extremists prey on nihilism and. Um, you know, in 2018, 2019, 2020, like we saw this boom in sort of like nihilistic content or like the rise of podcasts like Red Scare and things like that. And I feel like now there's this like trend towards earnestness, but like people hate on earnestness a lot as cringe, but I don't know. There's a lot of pro, a lot of creators have been making pro cringe videos and mm-hmm. I just have always liked cringe. Like I just earnestly like think it's Great. And there was a good piece in the New Inquiry recently about sort of like anti-trans stuff and how so much of like quote unquote cringe content is obviously like just kind of mocking like trans people or disabled people or mm-hmm. things like that. So you were saying like EJ, I feel like you've given respect to a lot of like the furry community and stuff like that, like these niche subcultures that everyone shits on. Like, I don't know, I kind of just like them and I feel like that's what makes the internet good is having those types of people around. Mm-hmm. So furries are so fucking pure. Like, they're yeah. the most, like, pure, like, wholesome community on the internet. I hate when people shit on furries. <laughs> Me it's, too. It's my pet peeve. People think furries are so cringe, and I'm like, no, they're amazing. Well, I we kept you for a little longer than we said we would, so I will let you go, Taylor. But this 
has been amazing. Thank you so much yeah, for coming thank you. on the pod. Let's do himbo. Today, I am crowning a young himbo, a sweet soul who deserves the world. His name is Nathan, and he is probably exactly what my future child will be like. His mom, Samantha Sophia, posted a TikTok of the two sitting in a car together. In the back, cutie pie Nathan is playing with his iPad, and Samantha asks him to repeat something he said about one of his friendships. And then he says this. Nathan, what did you just say about this friendship? Um, I don't like actually being friends with the person. I just like being friends with them because of the drama. What? Yeah, uh, it's very problematic. I need to work with myself. <laughs> this is a boy after my own heart. An honest himbo. Much like Ashley Tisdale. An absolute <laughs> prince. Props to him and his love of drama. Like, we all we all have that friend. You know? Like, we all do. But how much can a nine-year-old... <laughs> how much can a nine-year-old start drama to the extent that, like, you're only willing to be friends with them because of that drama? Nine-year-olds start a lot of drama. What's the drama over? All, everything. Sometimes, I don't know. It's kind of nonsense. Like, when I've talked to my little... My sister's, like nine now mm-hmm. and i know it's it's everything she tells me is so wacky it's like weird drama over games and like toys and shit like it's just like dumb shit but it's drama the biggest drama i can remember is i had a friend uh in fourth grade who slept over at my house and she couldn't find her baby g watch if you remember those yeah she was like super rich and she had a baby g watch and she <laughs> outwardly accused my father of stealing it <laughs> But that was yeah, like this, that was like pathological. <laughs> that, that was that was like some Dakota Johnson level shit. <laughs> I do remember there was like a big like birthday party fiasco that happened. Like I went to Catholic school, so our classes were really small. Um, so there was only like fifteen of us, and there was like one kid really wanted to have their birthday at this like museum downtown, and I think someone else had beat them to it. Mm-hmm. And, like, had their birthday or something. Like, it was, like, something stupid. I remember there being, like, a big drama over the fact that they were both having their birthday at the same place. And, like, the one kid felt that he was, like, being copied. Oh, the birthday party drama is endless. Yeah, nine-year-olds age. are dramatic. Like, that's, like, the yeah. beginning of being really dramatic. And I, I hope that friend continues to bring some delicious mess into his life. Like, I hope I hope there's some good stuff coming in middle school that he mm. can just kind of sit back and enjoy. Because it's coming. Mm-hmm. And I hope he finds more overdramatic friends in the future. I hope he um, starts his own website like Jason Lee. I think that's what I see for him in the future yeah. is, is that he starts uh, rumors about the queen dying and goes viral Hot for that. Gossip King. Yeah. He, we're ready for him. Thanks so much for listening to Don't Let This Flop, brought to you by Rolling Stone and Cumulus Podcast Network, written and hosted by me, EJ Dixon, and Brittany Spanos. Executive produced by Jason Fine, Bridget Shelsey, and Elizabeth Garper-Paul. Edited by Dan Stein, and original music composed by Daniel Mertzleft. 